Welcome to the Money Mindset Podcast, where you will find the inspiration and motivation you need to manage your money better so you can stress less and live the life you want. It's Ashley with Budgets Made Easy and the Money Mindset Podcast. Today's episode is with Anne Garcia, aka the College Financial Lady, who has helped thousands of families save millions of dollars on college. So we are going to discuss how to pay for college and all the things that you probably didn't know. And even if your child is getting ready to go off to college in the fall, she has lots of tips and helpful advice on how to lessen the financial burden on your family. So if you are ready to get started on managing your finances better, don't forget I do have a free budget starter kit at budgetsmadeeasy.com slash start. Now, if this episode doesn't apply to you, but you know a family that is getting ready to send their kids off to college, or maybe they're younger and they want to start planning for college because, you know, the sooner the better, please share uh, with them this episode because, oh, there's so much good information in here. And uh, she does have a book coming out soon uh, with even more helpful tips on how to pay for college. So let's get rid of that student loan debt. Let's not take on more than we need and take advantage of, you know, some of the programs and information that is out there to help you pay for it. So let's dive into Anne's episode. Hey, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. And we are going to talk about retirement and college savings for the kids, primarily about college, but of course it affects our retirement as parents. So can you give us just a little bit of background about yourself and why this topic is so important to you? Absolutely. So as a financial advisor, I found early in my career that um, a lot of our, a lot of my clients had questions about college and very few, um, very few financial advisors were actually answering those questions. Um, at the same time, uh, I was meeting with more and more families who had either for their own education or for their children's education, taken on so much student debt that they really weren't able to do anything to plan for retirement for themselves. And, um, and I felt like there was a real opportunity to, um, to, by, by focusing on the first group of people, you know, the people who didn't know how to plan for college to avoid creating more of that second group of people who were those who were so drowning in student loan debt that they really couldn't, um, um, couldn't think of retirement or really anything other than trying to get, trying to get their student loans paid off. Yeah. And, and that's such a major problem. Like I'm seeing it myself in my coaching group with people that can't save for retirement because they have these parent student loans. So um, what do you think is more important, uh, saving for retirement first or saving for college? Well, so there's, so there's two groups of people. One is the parents who, who don't yet have kids in college and, um, and maybe um, either aren't dealing with their own student loans or are dealing with a nominal amount of student loans. Um, I do believe that retirement is the first priority for, um, you know, for any of those groups. But I think that saying that, you know, you need to save for retirement, not college, because you can take out loans for college, not for retirement, is how we got to this point of a trillion plus 
$6 in outstanding student loan debt. So I do think it's important to do both. Kind of my rule of thumb for people who are trying to balance those two is if you're not saving for retirement at all, don't save for college either. You need to get started on retirement. So emergency savings first and then start saving for retirement. If you are contributing something to retirement, but not maxing out your retirement savings, you shouldn't contribute more than 10% of what you're saving for retirement to saving for college. So if you're saving, for example, $5,000 a year for retirement, your college savings should be no more than $500 a year. If you want to save more for college, you need to bump up your retirement savings um, first and sort of keep that balance of 10% of what you're doing to retirement to um, to college so that you're increasing both over, over time. Someone who's maxing out on retirement has more flexibility to add more to college. Although I would say if your college savings balance is more than about 20% of your retirement savings balance, you're probably focusing too much on, on college. Oh, that's a good rule of thumb. I hadn't thought about it in percentages like that. I'm really happy that you mentioned that because I hadn't really thought about like what the minimums, you know, and how they relate to each other. That's great. So what about people that have their own student loans and now they've got to deal with their kids going off to college? How can they kind of balance that? Yeah, that's always a toughie. It's the new version of the sandwich generation, right? I'm paying my own student loans and paying for my own um, for my own kid to go to um, to go to college. Um, and there, there are um, there are a couple of ways to look at that. I mean, with loans, we always look at interest rates to see how we prioritize them. And you know, and one of the one of the challenges with student loans is that the interest rates for direct student loans, which are the, the loans that students take out, are much lower than those for grads. For the direct student loan for undergraduates has much lower interest rates than the direct student loan for graduate students, and both of those have lower interest rates than Parent Plus loans. And so. Um, and so, so parent plus loans typically have interest rates that are so high that those need to be a top priority for the family. I mean, often those are, you know, 8% interest rates or, um, or higher. Um, for, for a family who's trying to do all three, you know, pay off their own student loans, save for retirement, and potentially save for a, um, for a child's college, I think they need to really look hard about what their child's college pathway is going to look like. Um, um, you know, because there are going to be limited dollars available to, to, to save for, for that college education. Um, and that could mean things like looking into free community college pathways. Um, it's really looking hard to find the colleges that are going to offer them the most, their student, the most generous scholarships because many, many colleges are very, very generous with, um, with students. You know, the average tuition discount rate last year, which is the, if you take the net price of college and what people actually paid, um, the average tuition discount rate was something like 56% last year, which means oh, that wow. 50, 56 cents of every dollar of listed tuition is not actually paid. So, by way of saying there are there are many many opportunities out there for students to find low cost college college educations if they're willing to put in the time and effort to 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 find them and i think if you're in that situation of paying off your own student loans and having a child going 
going to college, you need to be really diligent in finding the opportunities for them to get the lowest possible cost college education. Yeah, and I'd love to um, maybe get your insight on a lot of parents don't understand how the system works. And I have seen it over and over where they just assume that they'll make their kid take out the loans and then they fill out the FAFSA and realize they have to take out the parent loans. Like you don't get a choice in the matter and people (laughs) think that you do. So can we talk about that a little bit that you really don't have a choice when you're taking out the student loans on who takes it out? Right. So, so the direct student loan, which is the loan that a student can take out, has an annual limit. It's $5,500 for the first year, $6,500 for the second year, and then $7,500 for um, years three through six, um, which hopefully, hopefully is only years three through four. And so any amount of borrowing that you need to do above those limits is either going to come from parent plus loans or from private student loans. And typically the parents are the co-signer on a private student loan. Being a co-signer means you're equally liable for, for that debt. So, so yeah, um, that, that notion that your kid is gonna take out all these loans and, and, and you're off the hook is really not, um, not a part of it. And it's, it's unfortunate that so many families wait until senior year when their child starts applying to college to think about how, how this all works. But, um, you know, the, the system, the way the system works, there's, there's two kinds of financial aid. There's need-based aid and that type of financial aid is awarded based on your family's financial situation as reported by the FAFSA and in some cases the CSS profile, which is a um, financial aid application that's for private colleges. So the FAFSA is the free application for federal student aid um, and, and all colleges use the FAFSA because that's what allocates federal aid dollars, which includes direct student loans, parent plus loans, Pell grants, work study and whatnot. Many colleges offer their own financial aid in addition to that, and that may be allocated based on the FAFSA or based on the CSS profile. Um, So in order to be eligible for for scholarships on the basis of financial need, you need to do two things. One is you need to fill out the FAFSA, and the other is you need to apply to colleges that will offer financial aid on the basis of need. Um, You also need to have financial need, which is um, which is defined as the difference between the cost of attendance at the college that you're applying to and your expected family contribution, or it's coming to be called the student aid index that's calculated by the FAFSA or the CSS profile. So if you're going to a college that costs $50,000 a year and your expected family contribution or student aid index is $15,000 a year, then you have financial need of $35,000. Now that only matters if you're applying to a college that says it's going to meet your financial need. So that's one way of getting scholarships for college. The other is there's this other pool of financial aid called merit aid. And merit scholarships are given to students regardless of their family's financial situation and um, and are, are, are given just to attract good students to the colleges. Um, that's a really valuable pool of money 
um, for the many students whose whose families, based on the FAFSA, would be shown as needing to pay a lot towards college, but who don't necessarily have a lot of dollars to put towards um, to put towards college. So what would be your advice? And of course, this is just general advice <laughs> um, <laughs> for somebody that it is their senior year. And now the parents are like, oh, how are we going to pay for this? Like they didn't realize all the, you know, all the things that we're talking about today. What can they do that, you know, when they're crunched on time to kind of make the best long term financial decisions? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and honestly, that's how most families approach college. So if that's you, don't beat yourself up that that's where you are. You're normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but I would say there's, there's a couple of pieces to it. You know, first and foremost, think long and hard about why you want your student to go to college. And I don't mean that as a do you really want to, or do you not want to? Because if it's senior year and your kid's applying to college, they're going to go to, you know, <laughs> it's a priority for them and for you that they, that they go to college. So when I say, think about why you want to go to college, I mean, think about it from the perspective of where do you see your student 10 years from now? What's the life that you, that you want them to have? What are the experiences you want them to have in college? What are the things that make them successful or unsuccessful in an academic or social environment? So think really hard about those things. Make sure those are sort of front and center as you're looking at college, because so often we tend to think the best thing for my kid is that they get into Stanford or Harvard mm-hmm. or, you know, the best college that they can get into is the best is the best choice for them. And really the best fit college is um, is going to be the best choice for them. And that means an academic fit, a social fit and a financial fit. Yes. I'm um, so glad that you mentioned that. The, the next thing to do is take a good hard look at your budget. Um, so most, most families pay for college through a combination of savings, spending from their income and borrowing. And so, you know, when you look at the dollars available to you, what is, what does that mean? You know, how much can you afford to pay each year? And does that mean that you're looking at a four-year traditional four-year college path, or maybe a three-year or a two-year of of college path where maybe you're combining AP or IB credits that the students earned in high school or a running start program, you know, where you attend a community college for part of your high school career or going to a community college for two years before you transfer to to a four-year college. So look at those numbers, think about your student and have a conversation with your student about what it is that you're trying to accomplish in college. And and it's really important that that be a goals-based conversation as opposed to a constraints-based conversation. So what I mean by that is if you look at your budget and your budget says we can really do two years of college, then your conversation is son or daughter or (laughs) whoever, we really want you to get a college degree. We think that's so important for you given who you are and the life goals that you have and the career paths that you gravitate towards. Our budget shows that we we can afford a couple, we can afford a two year away college experience. And so we want to plan for how we make that 
happen, how we get you enough credits before you get to that college so that you can do that. Or, or child, we have saved enough to pay for you to go to college in state. We have enough for, um, for a public school education for you. There may be options that you can find that cost the same if you're interested in private schools and we're very supportive of you of you doing that. Um, and what we have available for you is the equivalent of our in-state public school budget. So that's a goals-based conversation. A constraints-based conversation is we can only pay for two years of college, so what are you gonna do about it? Or we can only pay for you to go to a, a public school. And so, so you're stuck with, uh, you know, with the choices here, here in our, in our state. So once you've had those conversations, then the next step is to do your homework and find the schools or find the pathways that work for your, for your family. Um, so for a student who has accumulated a lot of AP or IB credits, that means researching colleges to find out whether they're gonna give them credit for that, for those classes so that they could graduate in three years. Or if it's, uh, you know, our budget is in-state public colleges, but that's not what you want, you know, do what my son did. My, my, my son um, really didn't want to stay in state. And he found that there was, um, that there was another school where he was eligible for a scholarship that would make his cost basically the same as our in-state public school. And so that's what he's doing now, and he couldn't couldn't be happier for having made um, made that decision. There are a lot of tools out there to help families research college. I always suggest you know your starting point should be looking at your in-state public schools to see number one what do they cost, and number two what scholarships do they offer. Most states would like to retain the best and brightest students in their state. Um, and, and so, and so they typically have merit scholarships that a lot of students will be, will be eligible for as, um, as, as graduating seniors. The best part about in-state public colleges and their scholarships is they're typically awarded automatically to all students who have, um, GPAs and sometimes test scores above a certain threshold. So no additional application is, is required. And then look too at what pathways your um, your state provides to shorten your um, your college years. You know how do they how do they handle your AP or IB credits? So for example, I'm in Oregon, and our public universities um, give automatic sophomore standing to any high school student who graduates with a full IB diploma. Wow! So if you do the IB program, you're automatically a sophomore, and you're automatically on a three year track through um, through college. Um, you know, look to at what options your college has for, um, sorry, your, your um, state and your, and your high school have for, um, for things like dual enrollment programs where students, you know, finish their high school career at the local community college and accrue enough credits to transfer and finish in two years or alternatively to either um, attend a community college for two years and then transfer over, or even many colleges offer what's called dual enrollment programs where you go to the four-year college, you can live on campus just like the four-year enrolled students, but your first two years you're taking classes at a local, at a local community college. So you have that four-year college experience without the four-year 
the four-year college cost. So that should be your starting point. You know, understand what programs your state offers. And then from there, you can go on and, and be researching, um, you know, what, what private schools are out there that might be a fit for your student, again, academically, socially, and financially. Um, there are some great tools like um, College Data and College Navigator that have um, that have really good information about what types of scholarships, what amounts of scholarships, what financial aid forms, and, and so on and so forth that the different colleges um, use. And then every college is required to have a tool called a net price calculator. And what a net price calculator does, is it allows you to enter all of your family's financial information and sometimes some other information, and it will tell you what students like yours got as financial aid packages the previous year. So those can be really helpful for a family in, um, in identifying the colleges that make sense to apply to. So for example, my daughter goes to a private college and, um, and we really felt like for a lot of reasons, she was a very good fit for a private, um, for a private college, both academically and, and socially. And so when she became interested in colleges, we always did their net price calculators. And there were a lot of colleges that we just ruled out immediately because we had a budget for college and there was no way that those were going to meet, meet our budget. And it was, you know, it was unfortunate, but there there are so, so many good colleges out there um, that offer good financial aid packages um, that really, the only way that you go wrong, wrong in, um, you know, in, in, in college selection when money is an important part of it is by saying, it's really important that my child go to X college. Yes. I'm so glad because you mentioned you... that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, because then you're stuck with whatever that college offers. And, you know, not all colleges will meet financial need. Not all colleges offer merit awards. And if you need one or the other type of financial aid, you know, if you're an excellent student whose family doesn't want to pay $80,000 a year for college, but who maybe lives on the West Coast and has a high income relative to the US, even if it doesn't make you feel wealthy, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you are not going to get financial aid from Harvard or Stanford or any of those places because they don't offer merit aid and that's what you're going to be eligible for. On the other hand, there are tons and tons of great colleges that do offer merit merit awards. And so your top student is gonna be better served um, by going to those. And there is so much research out there showing that it doesn't matter what college you go to. Mm -hmm. It really <laughs> or, doesn't. It's like, it, it really, really doesn't. It really doesn't. And in fact, there was a, um, there was a great um, study that was done a few years ago. It's um, the Purdue Gallup um, survey. And they, what they did was they um, interviewed thousands of college graduates to find out, you know, who, was happy with their college experience, was engaged in their career, felt a sense of personal well-being, um, and all these other indicators, and had graduated on time, all these other indicators of having had a really good college experience. And what they found was that it had nothing to do with what type of college you went to, public or private, highly selective, less selective, 
it really had to do with what kinds of experiences you had as a student. And they, they were things like um, having professors who you felt cared about you, um, having a mentor um, as you went through the college years, working on a project that took a semester or longer to complete, um, engaging in extracurricular activities. Um, all of those things were shown to have had a much higher impact, um, both in terms of on-time graduation and long-term success as defined by a sense of personal well-being um, and career engagement than did what college you, you went to. Yes. And I can't remember the book. I think it was called Happiness Advantage, and it may even be based on the same um, study or a similar study, but it was basically um, the same concept and how like so many kids are so depressed when they go to like an Ivy League school like Harvard because they're they're no longer like the best in their class because they're they're all the best there, right? They're so all then the you're best and they're still a bell curve. <laughs> right. And so then you're just average. You go from being like the best to average and it really messes up with your um, happiness in that mental aspect of it. So yeah, don't throw out just, you know, a cheaper school just because you want the a certain name school, right? Because it really doesn't, yeah. it really doesn't matter. Maybe it matters to like upper corporate, what is it, C-level sweet people, maybe. <laughs> um, but unless that's your goal, like the rest of us, it doesn't matter. Like it's just a box to check that you have a degree. It doesn't matter where it came from, right? So Yeah. And I mean, my son's a great example of, of how important it is to feel successful as, as a student. So he was not a great high school student and largely because He's a good test taker, but also a normal boy, mm -hmm. <laughs> which yeah. is to say he tested into high level classes and then really wasn't interested in doing all the homework. You know, yeah. he played soccer. He had a girlfriend. He had a job. He was interested in sort of the full range of things. And as a result, he did not have a very good GPA and he really struggled in high school. And I mean, the number of evenings that he was, you know, crying over his homework and saying, I'm the dumbest person I know, all my friends are smarter than me and blah, blah, you know, all that. It was, it was really quite, quite horrible. Oh, um, and, and now he's in college and he's got, a, he's, he just finished junior year of college. He's a 4.0 student in business He's tutoring statistics, which I'm always debating whether I should go back and reach out to his high school math teacher who said that, that he was never going to amount to anything because he was so lazy. <laughs> oh, I can't stand um, when I hear stories like that with teachers saying things like, like what? Yeah. Why would and you just, say that to a kid? I just don't understand. <laughs> yeah. And, and just this week, he started an internship in corporate finance at a Fortune 100 company. Wow, that's so, awesome. I mean, he's knocking it out of the park. And the funny thing is, but, you know, freshman year, about halfway through his freshman year, he was living in the academic residential community for business students. Um, and so all of his friends were taking all the same classes as, as he was. And he said to me at one point, I think I must have gone to the hardest high school of anyone because... <laughs> I, he's like, all my friends are in the honors program based on their high school grades and I'm not. And all of them think college is really hard and I think it's really easy and I'm getting better grades than any of them are. <laughs> That's awesome. So it boosted his confidence. <laughs> so, so good news, bad news. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but I think it really speaks to the notion that feeling successful 
is a really important part of being mm-hmm. successful. You know, there needs to be a balance between, between challenges and, and results. Yes, that's a very good point. Uh, now, switching gears here before we wrap up, because I did want to touch on um, a subject that we were talking about before we started recording, and that is that a lot of parents don't know that they took out parent loans. So can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about that? Like, how do they how did know that, that they, yeah, well, how, did it, how does that happen? And what can they do about it now if they find out that they actually did take out some loans? Yeah, so... um. So one of the things that happens is when, when students um, are accepted to a college, they get a financial aid package and these, uh, the award letters for financial aid packages, they've gotten better in the last few years because there've been a bunch of rules that have been put into place about how things have to be stated and, and, and whatnot. But a financial aid award can include grants and scholarships, which are the free money that you, Mm -hmm. that you get, but they can also include what's called self-help aid and self-help aid is basically your money given to you in a different format. And that is um, primarily work study and student loans. Um, When a student just accepts their aid package, they're given all of the pieces in the aid package and an aid package can include both direct student loans and parent plus loans as part of it. So, so if you think back to, you know, what I was saying a couple of minutes ago, let's say college costs $50,000 and your expected family contribution is $15,000. Colleges can either choose to meet your need or not, but if they choose to meet your need, they can use any of the pieces of the, of, of aid that are available to meet it. So, so they can give you grants and scholarships from their own money or from a Pell grant. They can give you work study and they can give you student or parent plus loans. And so, so a family who, who sees that a college has met their need needs to look at how the college did it. You know, did it come from grants and scholarships, which is great because that means you don't ever have to pay that money back. That's just free money to you. Or did they include loans in, in that package? Um, and, and, and what happens is oftentimes families don't read through the fine print of the loan of, of the aid award to see that parent plus loans and direct student loans were, were part of that package. They accept, they accept the offer. And then the way that loans work is they are dispersed directly to the school. So you don't even see your loan. It's not like somebody writes you a check and then you send the money onto the school that goes directly to the school. You never see it until suddenly you get a loan statement saying, oh, by the way, now that you're um, done with college, your loans are going into repayment and here's your balance, your interest rate, and here are your payment plan options. And year after year, I see parents who were not aware that Parent PLUS loans were part of that financial aid package and they accepted the aid package and here we are four years later and they borrowed $10,000 every year. And what can they, is there anything that they can do at that point? Um, you know, what if they can't even make the payments or it's going to affect their retirement and, you know, can social security be garnished for the student loans? So unfortunately, there's very little that you can um, do to get student loans discharged, even in a situation like that, where you didn't even know that you um, that you took them out. On the plus side, there are a lot of 
a lot of options to deal with student loans. Um, so, so first and foremost, um, you have a variety of standard payment plan options. You know, you can do the 10 year plan or the 25 year um, plan. And so those at least have, have low, low payments available to them. The other option that, um, that parents can do is income-based repayment. So any federal student loan is eligible for income-based repayment. The way that income-based repayment works is you pay a set percentage of your income um, every month. You know, that amount is calculated annually um, based on you providing an income certification to the loan servicer. Then they calculate based on which payment plan you're in, what your monthly payment should be. Those are usually pretty reasonable, you know, pretty reasonable payment amounts. At the end of 25 years um, of income-based payments, the balance of the loan is forgiven. Currently, temporarily, that is tax-free, um, that forgiveness is tax-free to you. In the normal world, um, that, um, that forgiven loan balance is treated as taxable income in the year that it's, um, that it's forgiven. So there would be, you know, at some point in the future, a, a penalty for that. Um, there are a couple of options for parents. So I always say, you know, parents who are going to take out loans for college need to look really closely at their situation to decide who takes them out, because either parent could um, either parent could take out the loan. Um, so parent plus loans are eligible for public service loan forgiveness if they're consolidated into a direct consolidation loan. So if if either parent works in the public or nonprofit sector that's and plans to continue working for 10 years after their student graduates, that's the parent who should take out the loan because they can do that income-based repayment for 10 years and then the loan balance is forgiven and it's not taxable um, to them. The other option is an older parent. So, um, so one of the one of the protections in the federal student loan program is that federal student loans are what's called non-recourse loans, which means if you can't pay them off, they can't go after anyone else to get the to get the loan paid off. So, so an older parent, for example, could take out student loans um, in their student's name, get on an income-based payment program, Def, you know, go through periodic um, deferments, and then whatever balance is left when they pass away is is basically forgiven. So I had a student that I worked with whose father was, you know, was 70 when she was going to college, and his only income was Social Security. And so the family took out all this, uh, all the student loans in his name. And then um, with the plan that once she graduates, he'll do a consolidation loan, get into an income-based repayment plan, but, you know, you have options to defer your loans for um, when you go through a consolidation. So he'll just defer them and eventually, you know, he'll start making income-based payments. Those are going to be pretty small, you know, probably in his case, somewhere between $75 and $150 a month. And, and when he passes away, that, that all goes away. So, Whenever they pass away, the student that the money was for, they're not responsible for the student loans. Correct. It's a non-recourse loan. So only the original named borrower is responsible for the loan. Nobody else is. Not even, even if you have assets in your estate, they are not used to settle that loan. 
Now, even with the income base, and you said maybe 75 or 150, um, you know, of course, depends on your income, but Social Security is not that much. I know, like, my grandma lives with me. She doesn't, she doesn't even mm-hmm. make enough from Social Security to live on her own. So what right. if they don't have this, even the 75 or 150? Like, can it be garnished or well, what happens well, then? Well, that's why, that's why those income-based programs are, are, are such a good option for people with, with limited means. Um, because you can be in an income-based repayment program and your payment could be $0 a month. Oh, okay. Gotcha. That makes and sense. And it's still, and it's still a qualifying payment. So yeah. So for someone who, for whom social security is their only, you know, is, is, is their only source of income, they will probably end up with a $0 monthly payment. Now, the downside of this is why it's not a, you know, it, it's sort of a, you know, a, 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 a worst case, you know, a worst case strategy is, um, as you, as you make these payments, um, or so, so a loan has principal and interest and interest accrues on the loan in a normal loan, like your mortgage every month, you're paying some principal and some interest when you're in an income-based payment program, it is entirely possible that your payment isn't even covering the interest cost. Mm-hmm. Yep. And when that happens, that interest gets that interest accrues on the loan. At the point of loan forgiveness, that is added to the balance, and that is the total amount that you have forgiven. So, so let's say hypothetically, we're going to use easy math numbers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's say you borrowed twenty thousand dollars, and your interest rate is ten percent. That means that every year those loans are accruing $2,000 of interest. If your monthly payment is zero, then every year, then every year $2,000 worth of interest accrues on the loan. Now, if you are 85 years old and taking out this loan, you don't need to worry and, and you're on a you know 25 year payment plan, the likelihood that you will ever have to worry about that interest is pretty low. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> um, because most of us don't live to 110. You could be that person though. Um, and, and so, and, and so, um, so that's the, you know, that's the, the huge downside of income-based repayment is that if you are on that loan forgiveness path, you could potentially have a very large balance forgiven. That um, you then have to pay taxes on most likely. That you then have to pay taxes on. Oh, that sounds yeah. terrible so if it's too much. Like, it's, yeah, and it's that. really, it's one of those really terrible things that I feel like this gets lost in all these discussions around student loan forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So many people who might be eligible for student loan forgiveness have paid back their loans more than twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And it's just that they're in, you know, these loan programs where the interest rates are very high and and they've been they've been in an income based payment plan, which caused their loan balance to go up, and you know and the, and they they can't get out from under that. So I have a client, for example, who borrowed seventy thousand dollars to go to graduate school. After fifteen years, she had paid a hundred thousand dollars on those loans, and her balance was eighty five thousand dollars. See, that's ridiculous. Which is ridiculous. And people go, oh, you know, she took out those loans. She should have to pay them back. Well, she did. 
She yeah. paid them back it in that sum. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's what I don't think a lot of people understand mm-hmm. in the conversation is that the interest rates are crazy. Like, for mine, it took, I paid on it for 10 years and now it only paid off $3,000 in 10 yeah. years. Like, what? Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah, like, and how much did you pay in those 10 years to only pay off $3,000? Oh, gosh. I, you know, I haven't done that math because I was just sitting here thinking about it as you were talking. it would make I was you like, crazy. Yeah, exactly. But it was accruing. Like, I figured out what it was accruing every day in interest. It was like almost $5 a day that it was accruing. Mm-hmm. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, yeah, that's why people can't get it paid off. Like it's insanity. So, yeah. Uh, and, you know, and meanwhile, we keep increasing the degree requirements for so many professions. I mean, mm-hmm. teachers need a master's nurses. It's no longer RN. It's BSN. Physical therapists need a doctorate. Veterinarians need a doctorate. There are all kinds of career paths that now require graduate school and graduate school, number one, isn't cheap. And number two, the loans have very high interest rates. Um, And, you know, and then these graduates go, you know, go to work and make payments for a very long time and pay substantial sums of money more than they ever borrowed. And, you know, and, and then there's, you know, all this grief being given that, oh, they borrowed the money, they're responsible for it. Well, they have more often than not, they have more than repaid their ba- the balance of their loans, but the programs are such that they can never get out from, un- from under them. Yeah. And certain jobs that require a degree now that never did, like for my mom, for example, like the job that she does, it was on the job training like 20 years ago. She has all her certifications, registries, like all the things, but now it requires a degree. And she doesn't have a degree, so she automatically gets kicked out of, like, the online applications because of that one little box, even though she has, like, 20, 25 years of experience plus all the certifications that you have to have in the first place to do the job. Like, it makes no sense. When we keep talking about this nursing shortage, but we're not talking about the fact that so many nurses have been forced out of the profession in the last five or 10 years because the degree requirements have changed. And I mean, I didn't know if you're that. a 55 yeah. year old nurse and somebody tells you, Oh, in order to keep doing the same job that you've been doing for 30 years, you need to go back to college. That's so <laughs> stupid. Yeah. I, I did not know that, that the, that it had changed for nursing and that, that, was the issue. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's state by state. So different states have different requirements, but it has become much more common that, um, that you need a BSN now to, to be, to be a nurse. It's so irritating. Yeah. (laughs) And getting into nursing school is like getting into Harvard. Yes. I did know we're not exactly producing new nurses. Yeah, exactly. That was really hard to get. And there's like a t- at least several years ago when I was in college and people were talking about there's there was like a two year wait list to even get into nursing school. So you got to figure mm-hmm. out something else to do in the meantime. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, but I'm sure yes. we could talk about this all day. <laughs> um, and I know you have you know you have a whole book on the subject. So um, what uh, can people do to just learn more about you or check out your book? Yeah, absolutely. So my book is coming out on July 19th. It's called How to Pay for College. Um, And I have a website as well, howtopayforcollege.com, where I have a ton of information about college planning. Um, 
um, you know, lots and lots of information, everything from the FAFSA to scholarships to researching colleges. Um, and then uh, I also there have an online course called the College Financial Plan Masterclass, which is a great resource for families who are really close to college and um, and need to need to really explore the process in um, in in depth. But um, my my book, How to Pay for College, like I said, comes out in July. And um, and one of the things that that I would like to see families doing is starting earlier in thinking about college. Um, you know, senior year is almost too late to start having, you know, to start having a thoughtful approach to it. You know, all of your financial aid planning is is out the window, really. Um, and, you know, and you're really limiting your process. So, so my book, How to Pay for College, really walks you through age appropriate tasks from newborn to high school senior um, to get your to get your child a great education at a price that works for your family. That's great. I can't wait to read it. And I did forget to ask you, was there anything else that maybe I forgot to mention or that uh, last words of wisdom that you want people to take from this episode? Yeah. So, you know, to me, the biggest thing is whoever your child is and whatever your budget is, you have great college choices available to you if you're willing to put in the time and energy to find them. Um, the unfortunate thing I think is our system is really, um, is really focused on giving, um, giving airtime to the Stanford's and Harvard's of the world. And most of the college world operates really differently from, from those specific, um, from those specific cases. So do your homework, know your kid, find the best solutions for them, and you will have great options available to you. Yes, and thank you for all the tips and advice that you've given today. Um, and I always like to ask people at the end what their favorite nonfiction book is. Now, besides yours, because I'm sure that's <laughs> that's your favorite. I'm sure it took you a lot of time and energy. I'm at a point and... where it's my favorite and my least favorite. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I can't even imagine. Like, I just don't even want to write a book. Um, but uh, another, and it doesn't have to be related to college or finances even, just a nonfiction personal development do you have a favorite book uh, oh my gosh you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with finance since that's been the source of the basis of our conversation and and I know that's something that your listeners are um, really interested in a book I love is um, the psychology of money by Morgan Housel and it is a um it's it's an easy read and a really engaging read and what he does is is just talks through a lot of different money situations decisions we make thoughts that we have um and and explains really well how those play out over the long term and how how to get over our behavioral and psychological biases um to be able to live our best financial lives Awesome. Thank you. Sorry, I had to, uh, I got a little distracted there. My kids are home and barking and uh, so yeah, <laughs> I had them Never leave to record moment. and then they came back just, <laughs> just like a minute too soon. Um, but I really appreciate your time and thank you for sharing all this valuable information with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Ashley. Thank you for having me. Thanks.
Wasn't that some great information on paying for college? Now, if you found this episode helpful, please share it. Please share it on Instagram or with any families that you think might need it. And as always, if you really love this podcast, please leave me a five-star review. I would so much appreciate it. And I will talk to you guys next week.